Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. And we welcome back to the show the executive director and founder of Hand in Hand in Snohomish County. They offer a way for its community to build strong connections and enable relationships to strengthen. Todd McNeil. Todd, welcome. Thanks for spending time with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Gary. Just a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, uh, a couple of years, I think it was a couple of years ago, we've had you more than once, I think, uh, talking about hand-in-hand hand and your efforts to make improvements in the foster care uh, system on behalf of the kids you run across. Um, but that, that's one of your programs that we talk specifically about, Safe Place. Uh, tell us a little more about hand-in-hand in, hand in general, I guess, uh, what, what part of this county you serve and all that kind of <laughs> first topic stuff. Sure. sure. It, it can seem a little bit complicated. I think the best way to, to simplify it is we work with kids who are on a line. Uh, they are on a line where they are either at, at really high risk of entering foster care and having uh, involvement from Child Protective Services or are entering foster care for the first time. And so we do a lot with uh, with our receiving care programs. We have a shelter and and we license receiving care foster homes. But most of our work is actually done on the prevention end with kids who are at risk of CPS involvement. And how long have you guys been around? You're, you're a nonprofit, right? You don't, you're not part of the Snohomish County government agency or anything like that? No, no. It, it's funny, you know, Hand in Hand has existed since uh, 2018. Uh, but we've been uh, volunteering and working since in 2018. That. That's I'm this sorry, year. 2010. I, there we go. I knew it was longer ago yes. than that. <laughs> so yes, it, it, we are not that new, but but we've actually been working in the neighborhood for well over 20 years, and uh, was a uh, construction guy. And and my buddies and I, we would just you know help kids out, and and we rented space and scholarship kids. And I'm sure everybody's heard about that uh, housing bubble that happened back <laughs> in 2008. Right. Yeah. And what we found was we need this to be sustainable. It can't be a, a bunch of people who just care about a community, um, we, we need to really involve the community, involve foundations. And so we started a nonprofit. So Hand in Hand's been around since 2010, but we've actually been doing the work with the same core of people for about 21, 22 years now. In Everett and the kids you serve are just local or you you have enough tentacles that you reach out into other parts of Western Washington? I don't know exactly what I'm asking, but. <laughs> yeah, well, what, what we do is we're, we're hyper, hyper-focused on a, a specific community in South Everett called the Casino Road and Madison neighborhood. But the issues that affect our children also affect children throughout the state. So for example, our Safe Place program, that shelter was needed throughout the state. So we started a shelter that serves all of the kids in Snohomish County, has a capacity of 500 children a year. But we also took that model and we helped uh, a group in Bellingham start one uh, called Skookum Kids. There's one operating in King County now, and there's also one operating in Pierce County and Tacoma now. So we we like to share what we learn, um, but we're everything that we've done on a state level has come out of uh, a specific need in the neighborhood that we love and serve. Well, that leads me to what I wanted to talk about this time. That's safe place, the shelter, and the kids coming into uh, foster care. Um, another program you run is called, uh, and I like the acronym VIP, Village Impact Program. So the kids are are VIPs, I guess, if they're part of this. And <laughs> I know you, you you're like your background. You're a big soccer guy. You've coached soccer for a long time, and so you sort of use that as a vehicle and to sort of connect the community, right? I mean, tell me what this uh, village impact uh, program is. And I like the word impact in there too. 
Yeah. So it's basically it's it's empowering uh, the people in the community who who know their community best, and it's a very interesting community is, is that it changes. So wherever there's crisis in the world, a couple of years later, we will have that demographic. So at the, for example, if you go all the way back to the fall of the Soviet Union, we had a lot of Ukrainian and Albanian and Russian nationals there. So you have to, you know, learn how to, to work with that culture to help those, those kids assimilate. Um, when the Darfur region uh, flared up, uh, we had a lot of Sudanese kids. And currently it is, it's a lot of Hispanic families that are freeing fleeing the drug violence in, uh, in the cartels in Central America and the, and the border towns. So what we do is we, we just offer opportunities for the community to come together, learn what services are available, what opportunities are available, and then we train young leaders, uh, some of them are new to the country, on how to be the eyes and ears in the community and connect people with services. So if somebody is hungry, they can teach them where the food bank is, but more than that, why do they why do they even need a food bank in the first place? Do you need a GED class? Do you need an English class? Do you need a job? Do you need help with a resume? So constantly creating a pipeline of local leaders is what the Village Impact Project is about. And um, so, wow, that's interesting. So, but you have to then have your finger in a lot of pies, knowing oh, there is this service, there is this agency, that there is this program that can help this problem, that problem, <laughs> A, B, C, and D, you must use the whole alphabet then. How do you, who are you connected to? Does it start with government agencies or a lot of other nonprofits and schools and other charities? So <laughs> how, how did that all get going? It, it gets a little convoluted and complicated, but uh, to simplify it, it's about relationship. So we build relationships and have an accurate inventory of what the local nonprofit service providers and governments have available, not just what services they provide, but what, what is their, um, what's their capacity at that time. For example, um, Volunteers of America, they have a rental assistance, but if we send people there and they don't have any money, that, that's a bad send. So we, through relationship, we find out who's doing what to whom and what is their current capacity. We don't want to overwhelm them or send people uh, chasing something that doesn't exist. So it's a lot of, of inventorying, it's a lot of relationship, um, a, lot of, a lot of phone calls, and then a lot of partnerships, making sure that we don't um, duplicate what somebody else is doing. Uh, so if somebody's doing something better than, than hand in hand, we want to pass that off. And a great example is English classes and adult education. Mm -hmm. Um, our hand-in-hand -hand kids actually started teaching the English classes on Casino Road with donated books from bilingual books right out, of, right out of Ballard many years ago. And what we found was these classes were packed. But that's not really what we do well is teaching classes. So we reached out to the YMCA and asked if they would help organize it, and they did. And they brought in um, Edmonds Community College, Everett Community College. Um, we brought in the Goodwill. And so now it's... A, because they do it so much better, it's just handed up. It still happens at our facility, but we're just kind of the the conduit. Well, that's cool. Um, so we're talking with Todd McNeil uh, at about hand in hand one of their programs, VIP Village Impact Program. So how the, the, there's a couple of different layers of this. Then the people that sort of facilitate these agencies, you must have a, then the network that, like you said, it's constant relationship. Is that like people that meet or can that be done, I don't know, cyber these days? With I'm looking at your website, you're looking at mine, we're emailing. I don't know, how, how and how many, how big does that get and how? <laughs> yeah. Great question. And we do 
we do cyber meet, yes, but we also get together over meals. So it's uh, not uncommon to have hand in hand and the YMCA and local business leaders and Snohomish County Community Fund and Molina Healthcare. And I could just go on and on. So do you get those people, somebody from each of those to meet in, on a village impact program like board or something or, you know, guiding a committee that says, what are you doing this week or this month, et cetera? Yes. And, and it's it, several ways. One is, yes, meet at hand in hand. We do that quite a bit with, with leaders. We also have a stakeholder group. It's called the Casino Road Stakeholders. And people from the community can show up. And we also have what's called the Casino Road Initiative. And that is, uh, it's from a foundation called the White Horse Foundation. And they gave a grant that's being facilitated by the Snohomish County Community Fund. I think it's actually called the Community Fund of Snohomish County. But really what it, what it is, is it's about getting leaders uh, from the community together and giving the community a voice um, to find solutions that are driven by the community, not by outsiders coming and telling um, people who live in the community what they need, but really uh, li- allowing them to, to drive the bus. So at our, at our meetings, we tr- always try to have a community voice there. We're there to learn from the people who actually live in the neighborhood. And that, so that leads me to the other layer of this, then, is those folks who need those services. How do they get connected and how to, yeah, it's all well and good sometimes. All oh, these people want to do good and help people, but how do you get them? I mean, there might be masses or there might be 10 people you serve. How, do the, how does that connection work? And then how do they find out, oh, there's teaching English classes at the, y, the YMCA's doing that? I didn't know that. How do they find out all these things or that there is a food bank two blocks that way and four blocks that way? Word of mouth. And we... We train what we see as, as up-and-coming community leaders from, from the school, and we bring in, uh, for example, people from the Volunteers of America Food Bank or from the YMCA or from the Goodwill or Child Protective Services or from Snohomish County Safe Kids to show them how to use car seats. And then their job, uh, th- this group of mostly moms but some dads who meet every Friday, um, and there will be 20 to 35, is to go out and then spread that knowledge when they hear a neighbor. And then that is also we found the, the jumping off point because those families will gain the confidence and feel the empowerment. And then those are the families that typically then move on to the GED classes, the English classes, opening up a new wave of, of moms and, and dads who come in uh, to learn what's available in the community. So we really, our goal would be to go out of business. Wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> if hand in hand wasn't even needed anymore? So that's kind of cool. So the, the folks taking advantage of it end up being real people in the neighborhood and they find out, hey, this really does work. They pass it along because they have the real insight or the real connections to the other people who need it and, and say, I'm telling you, hand in hand is working. Come, come with me next time, et cetera. Is that? That's, that's, that's right. And, and it's, it's how programs develop and come about. And um, before, before the show, you, you and I were talking a little bit about, about soccer. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge soccer fan, but... Uh, yes, I love coaching soccer. All of my kids played soccer, but the reason that we have a soccer program under the Village Impact Project is it was requested by the community. Immigrant communities, soccer is the world sport. It breaks down barriers. But unfortunately, in, in Washington, and I'm sure other areas as well, it's a pay-to-play at a competitive level. So, yeah, a lot of yeah, a so lot of families, you're right, they, they get their kid interested in it, and then they, yeah, they spend a lot of time and money driving their kid around to try and get them into the advanced soccer games and leagues, et cetera. That, that's correct. And so for, for us, we, we looked at that and said, well, a, 
a family living in poverty who has four kids, they can't afford six to $8,000 a year in tournaments. But we also see um, all this talent here in the neighborhood and their love for, for soccer. So what, what we did is at the request of the community and was developed by a community member. Uh, he's now 40 years old. His name is Jorge Galindo. He's on staff with us now. But at 17, he was a homeless, um, undocumented immigrant living under a bridge who was sent here uh, by his family to earn money to send home. And you fast forward, he's in his 40s. He's a foster parent, an adoptive parent. Uh, he volunteered so many hours, we asked him to walk away from his union construction shop. And it, it was a great career move. He, he makes half the money um, and works twice the hours. But uh, but he was glad to do it, sounds he, like. He was glad to do it because he's passionate about He's committed. About it. He's passionate. Okay. Yeah. And so with this program, along with all these families requesting sports for their kids in the evening, because there's a lot of trouble you can get into in our neighborhood. Yeah, I was going to ask, how does this pay off? How does this turn the corner on a kid's life? Keep going. Yeah. So... What we saw was Jorge loves soccer the same way I do, but there was a difference. I would coach kids up through recreational, and then I would turn them loose to these other higher-level clubs. Ah, yes. uh-huh. What Jorge would do was he would keep his group of kids together, and as they started to play well as a group, he would keep them together, and the whole team would move up to play at a select level, a premier level. And he's won state championships and a lot of success on the pitch, but that's not what intrigued me. What intrigued me was... I saw a man who was investing in kids over a long period of time and creating uh, young men who were volunteering, graduating, going to college. So I had these two things. I had somebody who coached a certain way, and I had a community who was asking for soccer. And I asked Jorge, I said, can we just start two teams with kids from the neighborhood and show me how you do it? What am I doing wrong? Because I don't know anybody that's having the success with these children that you are. And keep in mind, this is a guy who stayed in the neighborhood, even though he could afford to get out. That is still his community. And what I learned was it's it's about family. Immigrant community, new immigrants typically take jobs in the evenings. They're going to be washing dishes. They're going to be, um, you know, working in restaurants. And they're not able to be there for their kids in the evening. So the kids, unparented now, can get into trouble. So he said, we have to come alongside the families and help them and create a sense of family for these kids and create a sense of community for their parents. And it is amazing. It just rocked my world. So he said, what you think you're doing is taking a kid who hasn't played club soccer and here you are, Todd, you're coaching them up and then they release and they make it on a select team and you're patting yourself on the back. He goes, that's not the way the family sees it. What they saw was coach Todd rejected me. He goes, you were doing it for the wrong reasons. It was selfish reasons. Mm. Look at me. I'm a good coach. My kids are moving on. And he said, that's not right. You have to keep all the kids together and move them up. If somebody moves and they're playing at a premier level, think of what the kids are going to learn when Billy and Johnny move and it's the next man up because we don't do tryouts. And now they have to teach two kids who've never played club soccer at a premier level. The whole team has to bring them along and they learn adversity. And if they win a division, you move them up. They have to... They, you can't win all the time. It's great, but they also have to suffer that that um, those advers- adversarial yeah. type situations that Share come up burden, in sports. Though, yes. as a team, that's kind of so. That's kind of cool. You you're not just the now coaching the kid. You're part of the family dynamic. 
the way Jorge's approach is. Is that what you're telling me? Correct. And we have 300 kids in this program now at all different levels. Some of them are uh, are younger children that are being coached by the teens in our program. Some of them are just pure recreational teams. It's kids who just want love soccer but don't really want to play at a competitive level. We have an after-school program where they can earn the right to be tr- to earn training three days a week, but first they have to do their homework and get a meal and stay safe, and so the parents love it. And so the community and the kids drive, but we also have um, some very successful teams. Could, could I share a story about what, well, our first please, team? Yeah, please do. It sounds like this is working and building, like you said, connecting a community is kind of the words in your literature. I think that's what it was. And yeah. It, and so just showing up for to learn to play soccer – this is growing a group of people that are committed to each other, and that's where the sharing comes and the bonding, right? And yeah. So, yeah, what's the success story you're going to share? I bet it's well, a success story. It, it is. The, you know, the first team we put together was a group of, of girls who love soccer, but in immigrant communities, uh, girls don't get to play soccer. It, it's just, uh, it's not valued. Their, their job is in the home, and it's, it's a boy sport. Yeah, culturally, you mean yes, different. Yes, culturally. Okay. Yes, different cultures. And so... We, you know, Jorge had the idea, let's, let's take this group. And so we, we took this group of girls who didn't even know the rules. And, and I remember the club that, that, uh, that partners with us. It's called Irish Soccer Club. And it's funny because all our kids are Hispanic. <laughs> okay, get, good. I like that. started by an Irish, Irish priest 45 years ago. But it's a great club. And they, they came to a couple of the first games that I remember what one of the board members was like, are you sure this is a good idea? These kids didn't know the rules. Every single game that first season in the spring of 2015, they lost by over 10 goals. Oh, no. Every game. I'm picturing and, the kids all just sort oh, of running around in a mass, chasing the ball, not knowing wh- it was where chaos. they're supposed to be. <laughs> it was absolute chaos. And they, they're in these uniforms that were the same color, but we had no money at that time because we had no program. So used, donated uniforms. And I'm watching these kids take them to school. And these girls were so proud they were on a team. What I just kept telling them was I saw the work ethic, and I said, you will be champions. I'm a good coach, and you guys have work ethic. By 2016, fall of 2016 is our goal. You'll be division champions. And they couldn't see it at the time, but it got to a point where they won a game and then another. And then that fall season started, and they won a game, and they won a game, and they won a game, and you just started to see it click. And halfway through the season, I just looked at them, and I said, do you believe now? Remember this conversation, just do you believe? And it was like, yeah, yeah, we believe we can win the division. And that was where I said, do you believe you're state champions? Uh-huh. And it, it was great. They went a year without uh, losing a game. They won our, our district. They advanced uh, out of district. The following year, I needed to challenge them, so I played them up a year. So we had... What does that mean? It you, means that they were playing kids that were one to two years older than them. Oh, that's like a boxer moving up in a weight class even exactly. though he doesn't weigh that? Oh, wow. And because I wanted them to be challenged. And so last year, they were down at Starfire Stadium for the Final Four and advanced to the championship game. And they never did win a state championship, but playing up, they lost the state championship in shootouts. Wow. So you take those kids, and in order to play, they have to coach the younger kids. And I inherited the younger kids they've been working with since the spring of 2018. My daughter plays on that team, and they're seven and eight years old. They have won their first four games with a combined score of 50 to (laughs) 1. And I am going to have to try to find—they're going to have to play up and probably in a premier league— 
because they're that good. But it was these girls at that state championship, that uh, that level when they were first playing, um, you know, at that state cup level. When I when I told them, I said, "Look across the field," because it was well over two hundred people watching them at this game. But in the front row was all of these little girls, and I was saying, look, "Even look, littler look. than them, you mean?" Oh, little, three, four, five, huh. six, seven years old. And I said, "That's what you guys have accomplished, right? That's what you've accomplished. It's not just about you, right? It's not just about you." You guys have had some success on the field, but it's about the future. Look at all of these little girls. You guys get to say we were the very first team in our neighborhood in this club. That's a terrific story, Todd. And I, I guess the, the follow-up question, or I guess you kind of answered it in the story, is what kind of impact, what kind of success, how do you measure it or something that uh, from a soccer camp, from a team working together and those kids who what may where may they have ended up had they not had a, a soccer program out of village impact and hand in hand like you, yeah. you're offering i mean you can't answer the negative because i don't know what would have happened but i mean there's plenty of scenarios you've run across and kids that don't have that right that end up yes. in foster care i don't know if you want to go that way on the there's still such a need for foster care and support like you guys offer uh in western washington all over the country really yeah, and and the the issue isn't so many times people think that kids join gangs because they're bad kids or that kids killed in youth on youth violence are dabbling in gangs or or don't have uh, parents who care. And and I'll I'll give you an example. There's a young boy and tomorrow will mark the 1 year anniversary anniversary of his murder and his name is David Sandoval. And David has extremely loving parents. Uh, who work long hours because they're first-generation immigrants. And he has a, an incredible uh, older sister named Genesis and a little brother, Anthony. And he began to volunteer with us, and he loved it. And he would do the behind-the-scenes stuff. He wasn't a soccer kid. He loved football. But he would come and line fields and pick up trash. And he, he, what was really neat about him is he would love to do stuff for other people and then sit back and watch and watch them enjoy the fruit of his work. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, and... and so David w actually went to his old middle school. He was in his first year of high school, and what he was going there for was to watch a football game, and then he was going to talk to the coach about seeing if he could volunteer at the school as a coach. He was walking home, and another young boy, 12 years old, who'd watched his mom OD, who'd never had a dad involved in his life, who'd been living on the street for two weeks, murdered David for wearing blue shoes, thinking that if he murdered somebody who was wearing gang colors, that a gang would take him in and he would have a family. Now, the, David's father has had so much compassion for the 12-year-old as well and sees him as a victim, but David was the light of that family's life. And things like that just drive us. We're going to have a celebration tomorrow, but how different would this situation have been had that 12-year-old not thought that his only shot at having a family was a gang, to, to get initiated into a gang. Yeah. And that there was another thing that came out of this as well, was that because David was impoverished and Hispanic, even though he had a great family, he was, it was instantly labeled a gang shooting, and he was labeled a gang member. And he wasn't. 
And we had to change that narrative in the media and in the community saying, no, this is a great kid who volunteers. But it shows the need for this because if that 12-year-old boy had felt that he had a family, had felt that he belonged to something that was important, felt that his life had value, David would still be alive and a 12-year-old wouldn't be in prison. Yeah. That story is so sad on so many levels, and it it demonstrates the need uh, of groups like yours. We're talking with Todd McNeil from Hand in Hand in Everett. You can find them online and learn a lot more about them. They do so many more things. Online, here's the address, handinhandkids.org, handinhandkids.org. Also on Facebook, and you guys do things once in a while at your um, village impact program we've been talking about. Uh, you do a couple other things, Todd. I want to get to. Um, do you want to talk about uh, your Sela Homes uh, as well? Yeah, it, we. What we really do is receiving care. So part of it is is a shelter called Safe Place, but uh, there's also a need for homes that could care for kids for for 30 days when they're entering care. And for Sela Homes, that's really that need that we're trying to meet. Now, sort of a transitional place for a kid yes. going from the emergency, got to get a kid safe now, to a longer-term place? Correct. And and I'll give an example. It could be that there is a, a grandmother who really wants to take a sibling group but is going to have to rent a larger home. Or perhaps there is really safe and stable family, but they're in California, and it takes time to get the legalities of of moving those those children there. Or it might be that a foster home is available, but they have to increase their license from one child to three to keep a sibling group together. And it just takes a little bit of time. And so that's what the Sela homes, uh, for hand in hand, we don't really focus on long-term. We do. There are uh, children who've come into Sela homes and the, the backup plan fell through. And we've even done a couple of adoptions because uh, they just fell in love and it was a, it was a great fit. But Really, the niche that we're trying to meet is transitioning those kids to permanency well. And so if uh, if someone listening right now isn't a soccer coach, they want to help kids, they, they don't think they're a foster family, they, I can't do that, I don't have the room, or I'm too old, or whatever, uh, what are ways, let me offer this up for you to throw out to the listeners, uh, opportunities to help Donate, help in some way. If it's not at you, hand in hand in Everett, it, there must be some place locally that everybody can do something. What are the kind yes. of opportunities people can do to help? Because this, uh, the need to help children in trouble uh, is widespread. It's yes, and you, you could go to our website. We always have a needs list. Of course, every nonprofit uh, it needs money. We all, we all need that. But uh, you could also buy toothbrushes, deodorant. You know what what the need may be. Uh, families and in poverty need um, laundry detergent sometimes. So finding out, um, you know, what your community needs. For us, it, you could go to the Hand in Hand website. But what I, I think that the best way to, to really get a gauge on what your community needs is to get involved in the local schools. The schools are um, where our kids are, the counselors know them, and sometimes you have to be persistent because so many people are inconsistent. Uh, they They want to maybe do a one-time volunteer thing, and it's really tough. Uh, but what you can do is go in and meet with the counselors and say, do you, do you have kids who need a lunch buddy? Do you have a homework club you need to volunteer? Is there a particular uh, child in a class that needs a little bit extra help reading? And you could go in on a, on a weekly basis. Um, 
PTA meetings, helping to set up childcare, things like that. Just I would, helping the community, getting helping, involved. Yes. Getting involved. Schools are just a, an incredible way to yeah. do that. Hey, Todd, I haven't been watching the clock. We're all out of time. We've got to wrap this up. You guys do so much work. We could keep talking for a long time. We've been talking this morning with Todd McNeil, the executive director at Hand in Hand, about their VIP Village Impact Program. Uh, Todd, give out the website again if people want to get more involved and learn more. Yeah, it's it's www.handinhandkids.org. And you can connect on our social media through that. Our phone number's on there, office address, everything you need is there on the website, www.handinhandkids.org. And I'm so glad we finished with get involved. Turn to your local school and say, how can I help? That's, that's a beautiful way to get people to really realize that we're all to <laughs> this village and an impact you can make. Thanks so much for being here, Todd. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Yeah, and thank a bigger thanks to what Hand in Hand Kids does for not just those kids in, in Everett where you have an impact, but just what you're doing in impressing other people all around. Thank you so much for helping all the kids in our community. Thank you, Gary. I am Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.